السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه أما بعد فالحمد لله Welcome to another episode of 30 in 30 in which we discuss verses of the Holy Quran that are related to Iman and faith related to theology and theological and theological challenges. Today, inshallah ta'ala, in the 21st um, episode of 30 and 30, um, we select a verse from the 21st chapter of the Quran. And specifically, inshallah ta'ala, we select um, three verses this time uh, as an exception because they are related to one uh, subject. Um, three verses from Surah As-Sajda and they address the creation of Sayyidina Adam السلام, and they relate in our discussion in our contemporary discussion regarding um, the theory of uh, the theory of evolution so without further ado these verses they read after Bismillahirrahmanirrahim <coughs> الذي أحسن كل شيء خلقه وبدأ خلق الإنسان من طين ثم جعل نسله من سلالة من ماء مهين ثم سواه ونفخ فيه من روحه وجعل لكم السمع والأبصار والأفئدة قليلا ما تشكرون so these three verses, they read, Who made all things good which he created. And he began the creation of man from clay. Then he made his seed from a drought of insignificant fluid. Then he formed him and breathed into him of his spirit. And appointed for you hearing and sight and hearts, yet little do you thank. So, this verse, or these verses, uh, rather, they um, are very significant. Uh, alongside other verses, of course, that speak uh, about the creation of Sayyidina Adam salam, <clears throat> they are very important to our discussions our contemporary discussions regarding the theory of evolution and whether or not it is compatible with Islam, whether or not um, uh, the theory of evolution is compatible with creationism and so on and so forth. Number one, first thing that we have to say, just to set aside, that Addressing the theory of evolution from a mere theological um, uh, uh, background without having the necessary scientific tools to address the theory of the theory of evolution is really problematic and um, 
as much as it is important uh, not to make you know, generalizations or claims that the theory of evolution, you know, phase value is, is compatible with Islam or is compatible with Islamic creed and so on and so forth. It is also important hmm, that we don't delve into brushing off the theory of evolution without having the necessary knowledge, without being well-versed, um, in the scientific knowledge that is necessary to critique um, the theory, uh, the theory of evolution. But what I what I'm about to um, present you in in today's episode is what any Muslim, whether you know, without being uh, uh, without necessarily having a uh, a a, a um, a solid background in science, and without having a solid background in theology. What an ordinary Muslim can do when they come across the theory of evolution, how could they make sense of the verses that relate to the creation of Sayyidina Adam salam, given all the claims that are made by the evolutionists? Right. And all the hype that the theory of evolution has, even you know, without within many uh, uh, circles of of Muslims, especially Muslim Muslim youth. So the approach for theologians has always been that we follow whatever is of certitude. Meaning, there are four probabilities, not five, where, the, where there could be uh, a conflict between a, a religious text and scientific evidence. There are four probabilities, four cases of conflict. The first case is when we have a text of certitude, which we call qat'i, right? versus a matter of certitude, like a fact hmm, uh, of uh, 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 fact related to nature, for example. So these are uh, this is the first first case. Both are on the same level hmm, of certitude, hundred percent. Okay. Number two is when there is certitude with the in the religious text, but there is what we call one hmm, probability when it comes to science. Number three is vice versa is when we have probability in the religious text, but we have certitude in the, uh, uh, in the side of the science. Number four is when we have probability on both, on both sides. So what do we do in each case? Number one, the first case is impossible. 
Theologians say it is impossible that two matters of certitude conflict. Right? It is either um, uh, that they do not address the same issue, so there is no real conflict at the end of the day, or one of them is not of certitude and, and you have taken it uh, mistakenly as a matter of certitude. All right? That's number one. Number two, if the religious text is of certitude and the scientific evidence is of probability, we follow the religious text because it is of certitude. On the other side, when the religious text, or the third case, when the religious text is of probability, but the scientific evidence is of certitude, what we do, we follow the scientific evidence because it is of certitude, and Given that the religious text is of probability, this means that there are other interpretations already available, so you don't have to be uh, strict to one of them. Number four, when the religious text is of probability and the scientific evidence is, for, uh, is also of probability and they are in conflict, which one do we follow? Scholars have two approaches. Some scholars say we follow the religious text because it's more noble, it's from the it's a revelation, and so on and so forth. Other scholars say we seek more evidence, we seek more, we, you know, we do more research until we find which one um, is worthy, uh, is worthy to uh, uh, to accept. And of course, when we say to accept, we don't mean the text itself. We mean the interpretation of it. Um, so that uh, if we do further research and we discover that the probability um, on the scientific side is higher, we would follow that opinion and um, we would reject an opinion. We're not rejecting the text. We'll be rejecting an opinion. We'll be dismissing an opinion. And there, again, there will be other opinions that are already available for us to choose from when it comes to the interpretations of the, of the religious text. So when we come to the notion of Sayyidina Adam, the creation of Sayyidina Adam السلام, in the Quran, is it a matter of certitude or probability? It's a matter of certitude that Sayyidina Adam السلام, Allah created him and that he is the father of human beings. But we have to note something. Right? We have to note something. Right? The Quran never dismissed, rejected, uh, denied the existence of any beings be on earth before Sayyidina Adam that looked like human beings. That is not present. So Sayyidina Adam السلام, is the first man that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And the first man that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breathed into him of his spirit. Right? And that in itself is something that cannot be proven nor disproven by science because it is of metaphysics. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he makes simile between the creation of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, of Jesus alayhi salam, and Sayyidina Adam. And the creation of Jesus was a miracle, and therefore also the creation of Sayyidina Adam is a miracle. And therefore, it is not subject to uh, the application of signs in approval nor disapproval. Right? And this verse that we have uh, today in Surah As-Sajda, you could see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells us and he speaks to us about النسل ثم جعل نسله من سلالة من ماء مهين Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the offsprings he said بَدَأَ وَبَدَأَ خَلْقَ الْإِنسَانِ مِنْ طِينَ he began the creation of man from clay and then he spoke about the offspring ثم جعل نسله نسله is the offspring مِنْ سُلَالَةٍ مِنْ مَاءٍ مَهِينٍ So there was an offspring. And then he said, ثُمَّ سَوَّاهُ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the offspring. Before he mentioned, then he formed him and breathed into him of a spirit. And he used the term ثُمَّ which means then. And that in Arabic, it indicates order, as Al-Imam Al-Razi himself in Mafatih Al-Ghayb says. If these verses are taken face value, they would mean, or they could mean rather, to be more precise, they could mean that there has been an offspring before Sayyidina Some sort of Creation before Sayyidina Adam. All right. Is this the interpretation that the majority, or you could almost say the consensus of scholars take? No. All right. All right. They say that what is meant by him, when he says, then he formed him and breathed into him of his spirit, he means the entirety of mankind, not Sayyidina Adam in specific. Right? But again, scholars like Imam al-Razi, he does concede that linguistically, it would mean that there is there has been offspring before Sayyidina Adam. But that offspring, no, hypothetically, if we assume so, that offspring did not enjoy, did not have what Sayyidina Adam had, which is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala formed him and breathed into him of his spirit. So Sayyidina Adam will still be the first of his kind, regardless of whatever took place prior on earth. So that is what is firm, what is matter of certitude. Sayyidina Adam is the first of his kind. Sayyidina Adam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, breathed into him of his 
um, of his spirit. There is nothing in the Quran that denies the existence of any creation similar to human beings before Sayyidina Adam. The creation of Sayyidina Adam is miraculous and therefore cannot be proven nor disproven by science. This is what every or any ordinary Muslim can hold on to, regardless of whatever said afterwards in the discussion between theologians and, um, and evolutionists. And by this point, we reach uh, the conclusion of today's episode. Jazakumullah ta'ala khayran. May you find it beneficial. Barakallahu ta'ala feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.